you know, how much can you rely on that smaller lineup? And when you have like a guy like Eric Williams, who, you know, I'm a big fan of, I think he does a lot of things that get overlooked, especially on defense. I was talking to assistant coach Mike Menenga on the phone last week and he was like, yeah, when he's locked in, like he said, I think he's the best, you know, defender in the, in the conference, which if you look closely, you can see some shades of that. Welcome back, our beloved listeners, to another installment of Emerald Sports. Brennan Ferber joined, as always, by my co-host, Carlos Pimentel. Uh, A very exciting episode today, lots of content to dive into, uh, and we will get started with the women's. It was a tough week in the desert for the Ducks women's team. In their first matchup against Arizona State, the Ducks won with a score of 73-58. to Everything looked peachy, but then things went downhill very quickly. And after an opportunity to get a statement win against Arizona, they lost by double digits with a score of 63 to 48. And then to make matters worse, lost a second game to ASU, 55 to 49. As it stands right now, the Ducks are 24th in the poll and are third in the Pac-12 standings. Carlos, what happened? Well, for starters, I would have to say uh, offensively, we turned the ball over a lot. Um, I know just straight off the back, touching on uh, the Arizona team, um, man, they looked incredible on defense. Yeah. And they're the reason why seeing that it shows while why they are one of the top teams in the Pac-12 and not only the Pac-12, but the country. They play an aggressive full court defense. They trapped. They really gave our guards a lot of trouble. And we couldn't really seem to find a way to get past that um and when it came to arizona state you know just kind of struggling on getting our offense going you know you can only shoot so many times until it's you know you start to realize we need to do something different and we kind of were a little lackadaisical on the offensive side so kind of poor shooting in arizona state and then really tough defense from arizona really made the ducks struggle in this two-game slide I think you hit it on the head. And game one against ASU looked great. I mean, the game went off without a hitch. Sabali continued her mean streak. She went eight for 12 with 22 points and six boards. Tahina Paupau, who's been in a little bit of a funk, she came out strong. She went eight for 13 with 19 points and six assists. Rogers was doing her thing. Offensively, it was a clinic. Yeah, and I mean, we've said it for multiple episodes, and I'm sure we'll say it for the rest of the season. Nira Sabali is the number one person in the Pac-12. East. She deserves Pac-12 Player of the Year. She has been absolutely dominant, not only on the offensive side, but on the defensive side as well. Something that I just love to touch on. Her defense is incredible. And she just knows how to get to the basket. And she's not afraid of anybody. She is not afraid to just take it down low and really put it in your face and drive to the rack and get her bucket. None whatsoever. And I mean, they dominated defensively. Tahina Papau had three steals. Only one ASU player scored in double digits. And it wasn't even Jade Lovell, the player that I highlighted. Uh, but one thing I wanted to definitely touch on is they were really strong in the first, <clears throat> excuse me, in the fourth quarters. So at the tip and then at the buzzers where they got a lot of the points, 
which really matters because it shows that you can start strong and finish strong. And, you know, it wasn't just the defense. Obviously, we already said it. The offense, 50% shooting, once again, above 50 Yeah, and you look for, uh, like you mentioned, um, Tahina Pow Pow, you know, getting out of her funk and coming out and playing a little bit better. And we talked about last week about, you know, that that one-two punch, you know, somebody's got to step up with Sabali and kind of play that other role. And, you know, you can plug in Pow Pow, you can plug in Rogers, either one of them, as long as you got another guard that can dish off the assists and then also get their own bucket. I mean, it looks unstoppable. ASU game one. They played phenomenal. Defense was on point. Offense was firing on all cylinders. And then you go to Arizona and you kind of take a few steps back. They dialed back. I mean, if you look at that game, really it was lost in the third quarter. The Ducks went into the half only trailing by six, which against an Arizona team is desirable. You know, obviously you don't want to be down, but I mean, they could salvage that, especially coming off an Arizona State win where they popped off in the fourth quarter. You know, everything looked great. And then they got routed in the third quarter. Uh, the Wildcats outscored them 21 to 11, making it really different to uh, difficult to reconcile. You're, you're completely right. And that, that third quarter really changed the tide. I mean, they got outscored 21 to 11 in just the third quarter. Um, if you watch the game or to our listeners who watch the game, you know, even though in the first half, it the Ducks struggled, the they definitely struggled, like I mentioned, with that full court press and that very aggressive defense. Um, they struggled a little bit, but they were within striking range. You know, they were within five. They were within six. They came down within three. There was moments where you're like, okay, put the turnovers aside, put the defense aside, and the Ducks are right there in it. But Arizona showed why they are one of the best teams in the Pac-12 and in the country and really put together a really, really great third quarter. That was hard to bounce back from. Arizona won with their defense, most definitely. I mean, and a little sloppy on the offensive side for the Ducks. Uh, Rodgers and Pow Pow had nine turnovers between the two. The team had 21, and off of those turnovers, Arizona scored 22 points. That's 35% of their point total, which is astronomical. Yeah, and they almost doubled the amount of turnovers that Arizona had. Um, that right there just shows you got to take care of the ball. Um, like we mentioned last week, when you go to Arizona, you got to be ready for a tough battle. And not only a tough battle on the court, but that place was almost sold out. That crowd was rocking. So when you got a defense that's feeding off of the crowd, they're playing red hot. Um, you know, you you got to just play your best, but you can't feed into that when you feed into that and you turn the ball over and you, you're missing shots and you're not locking in on defense you kind of just fuel the fire big time i mean arizona was prepared this was their second matchup of the season the ducks won the first one in overtime and i mean they felt the urgency because if arizona drops this game then oregon jumps up in the standings and arizona falls which makes things very different in the tournament and you know just psychologically um, I want to touch on Sabali, even though they lost, I thought she had a, a great night. It was her worst in a while. She saw, shot under 50%, which I can't believe I'm even critiquing. I mean, we've been spoiled by her performances. Uh, she still put up 15 points, five rebounds and five blocks. I mean, Rogers had a great game too. She had 17 points perfect from the line, which is something we've been critiquing. They haven't been of late. They weren't the reason, uh, 
that they lost. They just couldn't get help from any other player. Yeah, you're completely right. And that's funny that you said, you know, we're... Sobley's worst night, quote unquote, quote unquote, was that that night. Even though she had one of the best nights in the in the paint, you know, defensively, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles here, and you got to take what you can get. I'm glad that you know India Rogers came out and really hit hit it from the line. There's also just foul trouble too. You look at fouls; um, it's really hard to kind of you know they uh, the Ducks didn't really commit as many fouls uh, compared to Arizona. So, you know, they kind of toned down a little bit on their fouls and they played really good defense, but you just can't, you just can't match what Arizona brought. They shot um, really well from the three. Um, Actually, I take that back. They didn't shoot well from the three until um, the third quarter. And that's when they really started to light it on. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, one thing I wanted to highlight is bench production. Arizona saw 25 points from their bench. The Ducks saw nine. Prince, Sedona Prince, who, I mean, we know, uh, we'll touch on it later because Arizona State game two, she popped off, but she's averaging 9.4 points on the season. Since that UConn game, 1.6 points per game. So, I mean, that's something you'd like to see increase because when Sabali and Dia Rogers are scoring all eight points, I said last week, you know, I think they'll go as far as they take them. I would like to hereby retract that statement. They got to play team basketball if they want to beat these teams because just relying on those two facets and the pick and roll, especially when Arizona's blitzing your guards and forcing turnovers, it's just not going to get UWs. You're 100% right. And Arizona might have just laid out a foundation for other teams to show, like, definitely. If you want to play aggressive defense against this Oregon team, you may have success against it. Now, on the counter side, Oregon may become a better team off of that, learning, you know, how to how to uh, properly get out of a full court trap or full court press and kind of get the ball down to your post who like Sobley, I mean, we've seen her run full court um, down and back with the ball. So, you, you know, you do have an opportunity there when that trap comes and that aggressive defense comes to kind of get it to her but like you said they they aggr- they aggressively blitzed our guards and then also i mean we've been seeing it time and time again anytime you get the ball into the post they're gonna double they're gonna they're gonna bring a lot of help defense in the post and they're really gonna try to make it work so Touching back on what you said about role players, I think when you got people like Maddie Sharon, Sydney Parrish, who can actually shoot shoot threes and aren't afraid to shoot threes and make and uh, get their shots, those are the type of people too who are in the starting lineup who got to make those shots. And you know they have been shooting; they both have been shooting well. You know we saw the past few games is that they've been kind of stepping up their production, playing that role spot, and really kind of just you know taking the time to shoot those threes when they're open. Um, but you just we just got to see a little bit better production and, you know, take care of the ball. Yeah, and I mean, it is tough. You know, when you have road trips like this that are back-to-back-to-back against good teams like Arizona, it is going to be challenging. One thing I found interesting, going back to the first Arizona State game, is the Ducks went big. Uh, Sydney Parrish, who's in the starting lineup, a guard, only got 11 minutes, and Sedona Prince and Kylie Watson, two of our bigs off the bench, got 18 and 17 respectively. So, and it worked. So I'm wondering, after they saw the uh, the struggles they had, I mean, I know they were playing well in the first half, why Graves didn't turn to that against Arizona? Because 
you know, I wonder if that would have made a difference. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to know like what's in the mind of a coach at the moment, especially when you're starting to kind of see a hole being, uh, dug and you're kind of like, you know, how do I get out of this? What, mm. what can I throw at this? at this defense? What can I throw at this offense to really make a difference? And, um, you know, Kelly Graves in the past few games has really started to show, you know, throw in that two, that two big run. You know, we've seen uh, the, a two, three zone with Sedona and Sobley out there. We've seen a, a two, three zone with Watson and Sed- and Prince out there as well. Um, and then, you know, kind of mix match uh, Watson in there, but you know, We've I've seen the success with the two bigs. So I hope that there is that little bit of transition to where it's like, you know, maybe we should develop a offensive scheme that is devoted to the two bigs because the defense works. The defense works. I think the defense of the of the women's team is what they should take pride on because their defense is what really brings the team together. I mean, when you got somebody like Niara down there playing aggressive defense. She's not afraid to pick uh, pick up a guard. She's not mm. afraid to to block or be aggressive on defense. And this it's the same thing for all the bigs that transition in. They're all super aggressive on getting, you know, when a, a player is in the paint, they're not afraid to go for the block and they're not af- afraid to play a little bit aggressive. And it works out because you have bigs that can transition in and out when somebody gets into foul trouble. So I hope there is this transition of bringing in another big and not getting stuck on, you know, the small ball with the one big. Definitely. I mean, they have to be flexible because Arizona, I mean, on the stat sheet, their bigs won't blow you off, but they played, uh, blow you away. They they played very well. You know, Kate Reese, who we said she's going to be a problem. She had 13 points, but Lauren Ware, another one of their bigs, I mean, she looked like Nikola Jokic out there. She was just guiding the offense, but I mean, from the offensive standpoint and that scheme with the four guards, when you're not getting production from Pow Pow, but you know you can, I mean, at that point, it's just trust in your players that they're going to do what they what you want them to do and, and step up to their assignment. And Pow Pow's been a little inconsistent. So I can understand Graves, you know, not wanting to, uh, you know, insult her in a way by by taking her off the court. But... These bigs, I mean, when you're matching up against teams like Arizona, you're going to need them to show up. And when Rodgers and Sobley are getting all your uh, production at the guard and, and forward, and your guards aren't, Tahina, Pow Pow, Matty Sher, then what are you doing? You know, it's it would make more sense to offset that with the bigs than stick to something that's not working. You know, I mean, they got outbounded once again, and I think ultimately led to the loss. Yeah, you're completely right. And it's the thing that, like you said, you you want to rely on your players that you know are going to be productive. Um, so when they're having an off night, it's kind of hard to know when to pull somebody or when to really switch the offensive scheme up. But uh, Tina Popo having that bad game should have been a clear sign of like, all right, we need to kind of switch things up a little bit, go a little different. But, you know, she has the opportunity to pop up for 20 any single night. Same thing with India Rogers. So um, it's kind of hard to to know what's going through the mind of Kelly Graves when you have these players who who can become a human flamethrower at any moment. Right. She does. And she's a freshman, you know, Tahina Papa. She's a she's a fantastic player. So, I mean, I think I mean, we haven't had any problems in the past with this lineup and Arizona. I don't think it's a game you should read too much into. They still split the series. 
they're still you look at the standings third yeah in the pac 12 a lot of a lot of games left to be played uh but the arizona state game too that one was rough yeah the arizona state game too i think it's just you know it might have been just one of those games where you're just you know mentally defeated um, I'm not sure. I can't speak for the players, uh, but it just seemed like, you know, they just couldn't get anything going. Um, it was hard to, I mean, even towards the end of the game, um, it started to get a little closer, uh, but it just kind of, you know, and, and never really, nothing ever really clicked. You know, the second, after the first quarter, you know, we were up 12-6 and then we just got outscored every single quarter quarter so they just kept piling it on and on and on and we never and we never really saw um a player really go above and beyond i mean india rogers did drop 18 she did play really well that game but nyana sabli probably one of her worst games of the year um and you know that's credit to her 10 rebounds but didn't really play that well um, in the offensive category. And then, you know, we never really saw anybody else. But you did mention Sedona Prince, so I'm going to let you touch on that. Yeah, definitely. Sedona played great. Uh, but the game as a whole, I mean, this is when you just got to walk off. You know, it's what you said. It was just poor shooting, sloppiness. I feel like in the Arizona game, that one was induced by Arizona. This one was self-induced. I mean, Arizona, we're a better team than the Sun Devils. I fully believe that. Sedona was awesome she looked like her old self she had 13 points six boards the defense played well other than Lovell, the sun devils weren't getting a lot of production from any other players again there was a big margin in the third quarter a little slow coming out of the locker room 21 15 arizona state uh and then sabli you know she struggled a little bit three for 12 and pow pow oh for six from three with four points and two turnovers that's not a margin you want no, not after coming off a really tough loss against Arizona where, um, you know, we had the opportunity to kind of show who we are and take control of the, the Pac-12. Um, but this is one of those games you don't want to drop, and it's unfortunately that they dropped it. Um, but that's okay because we still have more games to play. We still have an a lot of ball game left. A lot of ball games left, and we still have the opportunity to really, you know, come on top or at least get a, a higher seed in the Pac-12 tournament, which I'm sure we will. Um, but this game, it kind of shows who we are as an identity, and that is Niara Sabli is kind of our 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 piece to the. To the team you know when she struggles the team kind of struggles so you kind of want to take that and see how we can move into a more productive transition because when your star player is kind of doing you know not not playing their full potential on offense or defense it kind of just like throws a wrench in everything you know you kind of you you see that because arizona state i mean they're not like a they're not the well the most talked about team in the Pac-12, but they are a, a decent team. You know, they're above 500. They're they're playing decent. They're above 500 uh, in I believe they're 500 now in the Pac-12. Um, so they so they're not horrible. They're not you know phenomenal. They're right there in the middle of the pack. And to knock off Oregon really shows you know this could be a team that could potentially upset some people in the tournament. And they took advantage of a poor night from our stars definitely and you just said it i mean they're three and three in conference so nobody really knows what they're getting other than judging off non-conference play but one thing i wanted to highlight 
the score, the margin was six points. So the Sun Devils, it was 55 to 49. They got to the line 23 times and the Ducks got there eight. So fouls were a huge, huge issue, especially when we only hit 50% of those free throws, 34 from the floor and 27.8 from three. This is just a game of numbers, a game of inches, and the shooting just wasn't there, unfortunately. Yeah, and and also uh, back to the Arizona, like Arizona State and Arizona. I mean, we we turned the ball over more times than 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 the uh, the opponent that we were facing. Excuse me. Uh, we had more fouls. We lost the opportunity. I mean, we played well in the in the rebound category. I mean, we tied them for blocks, and they got a couple more steals than us. So, really, it's just kind of one of those things where we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit. And I mean, like you said, the free throw advantage—that itself speaks numbers of not only like the plane, but maybe the officiating as well. I mean, that's kind of a really high number. I hate to blame things on the ref. I hate to be mm-hmm. that sort of fan and that sort of uh, look at uh, critique the game that way. But that is it a huge margin when a team gets over double the the other team in free throw advantage. I mean, there's got to be something wrong there. I mean, sometimes you got to be that fan, you know? Uh, but you talked about, you know, kind of living and dying by Sabali. Because when she struggles, the team struggles. That's most that's correct. Maddie sure didn't even get a single shot off. I mean, that shows you how, you know, Sabali opens things up for our other players. So when she's having an off night, the team is. And... You know, you hate to be that one-dimensional. You want to be able to adjust on the fly. But overall, these losses are unfortunate, but the Ducks, they're still in a good spot. If we look at the standings, you got Stanford at first, and then the Ducks, are they're right there. They're tied with Arizona at 7-3 and three at second. Wazoo, who they play next, is one game back, so that's going to be huge. And then you have Utah, ASU, Oregon State, UCLA, Colorado, and then Cal, USC, and Washington there. They're having rough seasons. But the Wazoo game, what are you looking for there? Yeah, I mean, this is huge, huge, huge opportunity to bounce back here. You're coming off of a couple tough losses. Um, and like you said, this right here is battle right there for the, you know, the three, four, possibly two. Um, you know, that that's a, a, a small factor that you got to take into consideration. But here, I mean, I'm just looking for a bounce back. I mean, Niara Sabali, she, I'm looking for her to drop a triple-double. Who knows what she's going to bring to the table. Um, you just, you, we have to take care of the ball. Turnovers in the past two games have been atrocious. So you got to kind of lock it in offensively. And I'm looking for that two big lineup. I'm looking for some bigs to be out there and take advantage of that opportunity. Um, but also, I mean, Wazoo still has got a has a really, really good basketball team. They do. They're, they are coming off a loss to Utah, but don't let that fool you. I mean, they've won four straight prior to that. Uh, they have a guard sophomore from New Zealand named Charlize Leger Walker. She is a beast. Before that uh, loss to Utah in the game against Colorado, she scored 30 points. 30 points. Her season average is 17.2 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists. But I'm right with you. I'm looking for Sabali to bounce back off this loss and just have a huge game. She'll be motivated for sure. Yeah, that, it's super exciting um, for this. It's like, 
I'm more excited when a team, I hate when a, a team, I don't hate, sorry, excuse me. It's a strong word. It's a, hate is a strong word. It's disappointing when the team that uh, you're rooting for, the team that you're watching, um, loses a tough one. Um, but that just gets me more excited for the next game because mm. it just makes me think, you know, oh my gosh, they're going to be so motivated to come out and really show that they're better than their last performance, better than their last two performances. So I'm super excited to see how they how they look adversity in the face and come back against this Wazoo team. Definitely. I mean, Pow Pow too, going up against, against Walker, big opportunity to make a statement, you know, step up, show that it's not just Rodgers and Sabali, you know, you're it's a big three. You're as big a part of this team as they are. And the implications are huge because, as we said, the Cougars just won game behind. And it is on the road. This will round out the four-game road trip for the Ducks. So hopefully they won't be too gassed. Right. And this, you know, Wazoo, you know, it's not too far away. You'll still probably have some uh, some fans show up from, from Oregon. Um, but, yeah. Any road game is a hard road game in the Pac-12. Any road game is a hard road game in in the country. You go play anywhere else, it's going to be hard to play. But you're completely right. This is one of the biggest games um, so far in this season because it's an opportunity to bounce back and it's an opportunity to solidify that, you know, we're not just going to roll over and fall out of the conference and fall down to the bottom because this is another top four team in the conference that we have an opportunity to beat. It is. And after that, they follow up with two games against the Beavs, who have just lost to both Arizona schools. So maybe Ducks and Beavers fans can come together to bond over that. But after that's over, it's game time. Uh, the Beavers have freshman guard Talia von Oelhofen, who is a phenomenal player, 15 points per game. Other than that, though, no real scoring threat. They owe their position in the pack to really just their good defense. You're completely right. And the. 15 points per game, you may hear, you know, listeners, you may hear that and think, oh, well, that's really not that much, you know, a couple threes. But in basketball and especially college basketball, 15 points a game is actually, you know, you're a mid to high level scorer at that point. Yeah, I would call that above average. Yeah. It's right on the curve there. Yeah, definitely an above average scorer. So like we said with Wazoo, another opportunity for our guards to really show their defensive presence against another aggressive guard. But also, I mean, I'm just looking for the bounce back. This one's going to be at home. So this is really an opportunity to kind of get the fans back together, get get everything settled back in and kind of hit the reset. Wazoo before and then you get to come home and reset against the in-state rivalry and just look for a huge game that game against all the players. Get ready to look for the passion and the fire that they're going to bring during that game. Most definitely. We saw how full Matthew Knight was when the men's team played OSU, so I expect the women's to be the same. Uh, Coming off, if they win against Wazoo, that's going to be just huge momentum. They get to come home. Even if they lose, I think they'll be motivated. Uh, But yeah, I mean... I still think this is a great team. I think they're the team to beat in the pack. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun games coming up. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I do just want to touch on, uh, you did say OSU is within the top five in the pack 12. Is that correct? Five or six? They are seventh in the pack. Yeah, so they're right in the middle. They're at four and four in conference. Four and four in conference, right there in the middle. So they're not a terrible team either. So, you know, this is two teams that are still in the conversation, still, like we said, still a lot of games to play going forward. These are two teams that, if we beat, those are the you know those are the middle pack teams that you want to want to beat. You could drop 
a few tough games to some top seeded teams. You know, that happens with the best of them. But these middle pack and low pack teams, you you want to beat those teams. You you definitely want to get We'll move into Pro Ducks. Our Pro Duck this week, none other than Justin Herbert himself. For the LA Chargers and his first Pro Bowl appearance, he won Offensive MVP. Uh, 7 for 11 passing, 98 yards, 2 touchdowns. And I know what you're thinking. Brennan, Carlos, it's the Pro Bowl. Who cares? That means nothing. They don't play defense. Well, Jimmy, while you may be right, we don't care. This was a big milestone for Herbie. Herbie fully loaded. Do we need to say anything else? Man, oh so. man, this guy w- was incredible. Um, yeah, it's the Pro Bowl. We all we all partially watched it. We all watched the highlights of what highlights, was going definitely. on. We saw quarterback Mac Jones hit the giddy, gritty, and then we saw people just doing a bunch of random stuff, 1v1s with offensive, defensive players, switching side, this and that. But Justin Herbert... This guy is showing the league. I mean, I put watched the league on notice. He put the league on notice. I watched him throw an absolute bullet pass to Mark Andrews that was incredible. He threaded the needle in between two defenders. One of the best passes I've ever seen, and it was for a touchdown. So one mm. of his touchdowns came on an incredible pass. But this is the Pro Bowl, man. You got an opportunity to really show that you're you're out there to have fun. I mean, you're out there to showcase put you know, he has the bolt on this helmet. He wants a showcase for the bolts. And also, it's an opportunity to show that a kid from Oregon, a kid from Eugene, is playing in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I mean, is this the first Pro Bowl MVP from any Oregon player? I wonder. I don't have that stat. Uh, Jamie, we need Jamie to pull that up. But, I mean, this is huge because he's playing with the best in the NFL. You know, I wonder. They, they see what he's got. Maybe that attracts people to LA as a free agency destination. Who knows? But uh, definitely we're happy for Justin. Yeah, uh, no doubt, and no doubt in my mind. I mean, like you said, potentially bring some players uh, to to LA with him. I mean, already. I mean, it's LA after their slugfest with Vegas at the end of the season. They were right there on the cusp of making the playoffs. Justin Herbert and the Chargers have a few pieces to put together, and they're a legit contender in the Super Bowl. So, I agree. shout out to Justin Herbert. Thank you for putting it on for the Oregon Ducks and Eugene and Oregon. Represent. All right, welcome back, uh, folks, to the second half of this podcast, the men's uh, segment. It is a very special episode today because we are joined by the sports desk editor and our first guest on this podcast. He hosted Emerald Sports last year. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Shane Hoffman. Appreciate you guys having me on. You guys have been doing great. Picking up right where we left off last year. Yeah, man. Thanks for the time. Uh, (laughs) Nice touch there. It was a very productive week for the Ducks. They bounced back against Colorado after a tough loss a few weeks ago with a score of 66 to 51. And then we're able to hang on in what was... More of a nail-biter against Utah was 80-77. to Shane, I'll get started with you. With nine games left, uh, do you like where the Ducks are standing? If you had asked me, um, you know, a few weeks ago, I would have probably felt a little bit better. That that loss to Colorado at home was a tough one. But, you know, they are third in the Pac-12, 8-3 and three now. They're tied with UCLA, as funny as that sounds. Um, Arizona's kind of top dog right now. Um, they're in a good spot because... 
of their conference record. Their non-conference record, like I just said, was not great. Um, when you look, I mean, they've won, what, 10 of their last 12, mm. I believe, at this point. Um, they have a few easy games coming up, and then they obviously host both of the L.A. schools, and they do also, before that, go to Arizona, which will be a tough one. Um, they've been better on the road this this year, which is interesting. Um, we could get into kind of the, the vibe at Matt Knight this year as well, but... You've got to feel good just based on how the season started, although they still have an upwards climb. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, looking at the way that we've uh, played the past couple of games, we've kind of just put together, the players have started to put together a nice stride. I mean, Jacob Young, uh, he's kind of fallen into his his place as like the not only the second, but potentially the first go-to player with when Will Richardson isn't really, you know, when he's getting a lot of defensive presence from other teams, you got a second guy who can go and get his shot, which... It's great to see because in previous games, especially when they've dropped a couple tough ones, he's kind of been the guy that they've gone to where he's missed a couple big shots. So it's great to see that he's not afraid to still go out there and get his bucket and kind of go after it. Definitely. Jacob's been phenomenal. I'm glad you touched on that. But just to get into the recap a little bit with the Buffaloes, it was a defensive clinic by the Ducks. I mean, after torching us a few weeks ago, Jabari Walker, a big reason why the Ducks lost that game. He only went four for 12 with 11 points. Jacob had 21, Will was doing his thing, 13. And Eric Williams, I know, Shane, you just did a piece on him. He was very productive off the bench with nine points and six boards. Yeah, you, you know, I wanted to go back because you were mentioning the Jacob Young thing, and um, it's no secret, like, you could tell when the season started that the, the guards were going to be the strength of this team, right? You have um, not only the two we mentioned with Jacob and Will, but Davion's a guy that's giving you double digits pretty much every night. He hasn't really had that dominant game like we've seen Will and Jacob both have in the last you know week here with the Colorado and, and Utah games, um, but he's you, you never worry about him, right? The thing that I'm looking at though um, is they ha- they have about you know excuse me eight guys right now, but the bigs have been kind of lacking. You know we had a, a stretch there where the Ducks and um, we're getting good prediction from you know Kepnong and Dante, and they were going you know 78 percent from the field, a block or two, and then some games it was more just the defense. But then the last, you know, handful of games here, they've been kind of non-existent and the Ducks have found their success when they've gone to the small ball lineup where they bring in the sixth man, Eric Williams, for, you know, Dante or Kepnong, and it's just the three guards, Garrier and Eric Williams. But, you know, Garrier hasn't been as consistent as like Omarui was from last year or Figueroa or Duarte, obviously. So it's kind of a different feel. And I, I wonder finding that fourth and fifth guy for the closing lineup is going to be kind of the question moving forward, right? Completely. And we we actually touched on um, when we lost to Colorado about how we saw Eric Williams come in um, towards the end of the game. And they went with that four four kind of, you know, guard forward lineup and kind of went a little smaller. And then they started to chip away at the lead. So I like how you brought him up because he potentially could be that fourth fourth or fifth player that comes in and can completely change the tide of the game when they kind of go longer, faster, and push the ball. Because it seems like that's something that they like to do is get out in speed and kind of run with the fast break. I think definitely, yeah. I mean, you said that that the bigs have been struggling and that couldn't be more accurate. You know, I mean, I think you move the small ball lineup going forward because that's what's getting you the most production. But it's really unfortunate because, I mean, we're coming down the stretch here. These are the games. People are filling out their brackets. They're going to look back to these. All right, you know, where are the Ducks? Where do they stack up? Teams included. So, and when you don't have a post threat, you know, with Dante and Kepnong, that is an Achilles heel and teams are going to exploit that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too because like the way Dante and Kepnong are built, you're like, okay, they should have success in the post against at least half the teams that the Ducks play. Um, but you know, and and they're coming along in terms of like post skill set, especially Dante. But you know, sometimes it, you, you you couldn't even tell they're out there. Which for a seven footer, the that's you know that physical is not a good sign. The funny thing for me too is that like this team, they have those two seven footers, and they have um, Biddle and Johnson. They have mm. four like legitimate seven footers in their ten deep rotation. It's like you're going to tell me that the best lineup doesn't have any of them in it, which is funny because they lost last year to USC because they were too small. Because as far as that small lineup got them with the three point shooting and the perimeter defense, when you brought in. You know, a Kepnon, you saw like he was the only guy that could, uh, you know, hang hang around with with Mobley, and you know, Mobley's doing his things in the in the NBA, right So that's yeah. kind of that's a whole other thing. But it, it's just interesting to look back at how I predicted this season. You know, they were going to have the guards, but it was going to be a bigger team, and it just isn't. And so I wonder, you know, how much can you rely on that smaller lineup? And when you have like a guy like Eric Williams, who you know, I'm a big fan of. I think he does a lot of things that get overlooked, especially on defense. I was talking to assistant coach Mike Menenga on the phone last week, and he was like, yeah, when he's locked in, like he said, I think he's the best, you know, defender in the in the conference, which if you look closely, you can see, you know, some shades of that. But, and that leaves basically just Waldo Soares off the bench, right? And then the bigs. And so you don't have another guard to bring in. And, and people are going to get tired eventually. We saw it Will played last season down the stretch, like almost every minute. For the- yeah, the guards are getting a lot of minutes for sure. Yeah, and uh, I think one of the biggest things too is foul trouble. We've no- I've noticed that the bigs aren't, playing as well when it comes to foul trouble i mean that's what's brought in a lot of the transition with those uh bench players getting more minutes um because they haven't been able to keep it locked in on the fouls you know they they like to be aggressive on defense and they like to be aggressive on offense to kind of get get down low but at what cost you know there is a cost to when you are super aggressive that you are putting your team in that foul trouble category and you're kind of really shooting yourself in the foot rather than taking advantage of the opportunity on the other end yeah, I mean the, I mean the stats are here. I mean, you know, I mean you can see the struggles in the win against Utah. Just jumping ahead a little bit, all their points came from the backcourt. You know, Dante had four, Kepnong had four. Neither one had a block. Dante had two boards compared to Gurriel's seven. Who I just want to touch on. He's been hustling on the defensive side a lot. Him Absolutely, and yeah. him and Devion Harmon both. Yeah, the, the the thing too with the bigs is like. Almost every Altman team had like a rim runner that was really good at blocking shots and was a lob threat. And it's weird because you would think that Kepnong and or Dante would be perfect for that, but they haven't really developed consistently into either one of those things. You know, you lose a guy like Wooten, you know, Bell, Boucher in past years. I totally thought that was going to be Kepnong if, if Dante wasn't healthy this season and, and Dante's gotten more healthy. But the the guards, weirdly enough, don't have chemistry. Like I was watching... I think it was the last home game I was at, so I'm totally forgetting which game that even was now, but they missed like three or four lobs that were wide open. Um, And then I turn on Auburn the other night, and a guy, Wendell Green Jr. and Walker Kessler, every time down the lane, they're just throwing up. It's the easiest bucket in all of college hoops right now. And I I just feel like there's more potential when you're going to run out these smart playmaking guards, especially like Will. I'm just a little surprised they haven't developed into that yet. Yeah, and I think maybe that comes with, you know, uh, having 
to, you know, games being rescheduled and the way that the season's been, that could potentially be, you know, messing up the chemistry a little bit. But you're completely right about past Dana Altman's teams having that, you know, not like a traditional post you up big that's going to get down low and really pound it in the paint, but somebody that can run and be athletic and get to the basket and have those alley-oop dunks that really light up the energy and brings a lot more to the offense and defensive side. Yeah, and I don't want to look too far ahead, but Dante and Keplang are both upperclassmen. So, you know, what happens next year? I mean, they have Biddle, like we said, but it is something that's been missing from some... I mean, it's a trademark Altman thing. You had guys like Jordan Bell even. So it is concerning to see. But as far as the Pac-12 goes, I like where they stack up. Upcoming, they have some games against Stanford, Cal, and Wazoo. Those should be Ws. I would hope so. Stanford's been a little choppy lately, but they did beat the Ducks earlier in the season. So look for a revenge game there. Yeah, and and I do want to put a bow just on the on the big man talk before we move ahead because it, it 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 matters a lot when we talk about the rest of the season. Um, and you were talking about them being on upperclassmen. They can stay next year. One of them might leave. I think it'd be more likely that Dante would leave. Yeah, I think Dante. Um, yeah, but if <clears throat> if they don't. And, and even in a world with one of them staying, I think there's probably a transfer coming because Johnson's been good too. And then you've got Kalel Ware coming in next year, which is a five-star big who has is that mold we talked about. So that's interesting to me because I totally thought they were going to use the bigs more. Um, and Stanford is a, is a bigger team. So, you know, maybe that's the team that gave the Ducks trouble when they played them down at Cali. Um, that's the one of those next three that I would be, you know, if I'm the Ducks, I'm probably the most worried about that one maybe. Yeah, I mean, they run four bigs as opposed to the Ducks who run are starting to run more like four guards. So, I mean, Dante and Keplong have their work cut out for them. Uh, I'm, inter- I'm interested to see how, how Altman approaches this game schematically. Yeah, I'm excited to see with the, you know, this is an opportunity for uh, Kepnog and Dante to kind of step up their level of play and show why why they're going to be a threat to other teams. But also, uh, Biddle actually got minutes early on in the Colorado game. He was actually in, you know, he wasn't in in garbage time. So he could potentially be somebody that Dana Altman is looking for to throw into the game, to kind of throw a wrench at into teams' defensive schemes and offensive schemes. So he could potentially be somebody that, could be the the second or third option when you want to transition out a different big if something's not happening, especially against Stanford, like you said, when they run a you know a larger set, you know, be be on a lookout for him to get some minutes in that mm-hmm. game. Besides the 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 kind of the issue with the bigs we've been talking about, when you guys look at Stanford, Cal, and Wazoo, this three game stretch that they have um, at home before that kind of gauntlet with Arizona, USC, UCLA, and we might touch on that. But what is the one thing you'd like to see, um, not necessarily corrected, but what are you looking for in that game? Like if you're talking about those are like they should be wins, hypothetically, although nothing's easy in the Pac-12, what are you looking for them to like improve on upon like the next you know week or two here? I have been saying it for weeks. I want them to stop relying on ISO ball. In the Colorado game, they only had five assists. So swinging the ball, maybe, God willing, get some of those lobs, you know, get the pick and roll going a little bit. We need our bigs to step up if we want to be successful down the stretch. But, I mean, they can't keep relying on Will and Jacob to shoot the lights out because as we saw in that first Colorado game, they struggled late in the fourth quarter and they lost. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, maybe structuring the offense more around you know, it's still a perimeter offense, but swinging the ball more and, 
you know, maybe trying to work it inside when you have the opportunity, maybe not against Stanford, obviously, because they're so big, but against those teams like Cal and Wazoo, the teams that run the three guard sets, uh, I think that, I think that could get results. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that is something that we've touched on, like for the past couple of weeks is that there is that kind of lack of assist, uh, from the players and kind of a lot of ISO ball, which is you know, it can be fine because both guards can easily get a bucket at any moment. They can go and uh, drive to the rack and kind of take advantage of the one-on-ones when they get it. But for me, I would like to see them be more consistent from the free throw line. Um, they were really consistent in Utah. You know, they shot nine for 10 from the free throw. But looking back at previous games, there were games lost from the line and there were opportunities that were lost from the line. So I think locking it in it was great to see him bounce back in utah but i think being consistent from the line is really what's going to take him not only further in the pac 12 tournament but potentially in the big tournament when they go forward i mean games are won and lost by free throws mm-hmm. when it gets to when you get to that point so locking it in now is really something to look forward to yeah and i think <clears throat> if you're going to have a team that's led by those three guards and they're going to play so heavily and, and have the talent to knock off a higher seed team in March I think we could agree you got to hit the free throws and, and they've had a few games just like this I know we didn't talk about the Utah one too much but they were up 15 with like five minutes to go mm. and then later on like 11 with a few minutes to go and they almost lost that game because of dumb turnovers uh, missed some free throws and that's happened a few times this year and it's it's a little scary right um you know, and, and and I liked your point about the ISO ball as well. The funny thing was that with that is like you look at their worst losses of the season, BYU, Houston, etc. There was a lot of ISO ball, not playing for each other and missing shots. Then you look at their best wins, USC and UCLA, a lot of ISO ball. They were just killing dudes, especially Jacob Young, Will Richardson, etc. So there's a dosage of that that works, right? But you have to have something else to rely on, whether it's a pick and roll game. Someone, you know, like last year when they had Omarui, they could just dump it down to. They haven't really unlocked that with Gary yet. He had a few games where he had a mismatch on him and he could do some stuff. But I'm looking for someone else to step up. Someone, whether it's Eric Williams or Gary, one of the bigs, or even like a Soares off the bench, who can just give them like consistent production. It doesn't need to be, you know, double digits every night, but something that they can rely on a little bit. You know, Soares coming in and hitting one or two threes. Eric Williams giving you 10. Gary just you know, giving you something offensively because that's been so erratic, even though his defense has been good. And if they can get one more guy in this equation with these guards, then I think you like where they're headed. Definitely. And some of the success against USC, UCLA was playing great in transition too. I mean, this is Tracktown USA. You know, we uh, clean basketball playing from both ends of the floor. That's Ducks basketball. That's what leads to wins. And you know, you said it in Utah, we added some dumb turnovers and you just can't have that. You know, you got, we have to be the more conditioned, more clean team if we're going to win because, you know, you can't rely all on the shooting, but they don't really have another option right now. So I think they just need to stick with it. And hopefully they do get some production off the bench and, you know, maybe a guy like Devion Harmon or Gurrier. Yeah. And they're not, and they're not afraid to be aggressive either. I mean, throughout the season, I've, I've hardly seen them switch to a zone. So they're like not afraid to play one-on-one. They're not afraid to get on transition and they're not afraid to be aggressive one-on-one offensively. Um, but yeah, Gurrier, he's definitely something that somebody that I'm glad that you brought up because if you look back at that tough loss against Colorado, 
at home. He had one of his best games of the season that night, and we were that close to pulling off that victory. So when he has the opportunity to kind of get going offensively, he could potentially be that three, that four, that guy that you want to look for to get that other offensive uh, opportunity going. So he potentially could be that guy who can catapult us above the other teams in the Pac-12. Yeah. And just to put a, a bow on that one again, like I think he's got the potential. You know, Alman said earlier this season, someone asked him why Gary had been struggling. And he said, you know, essentially Quincy came to school here because he saw what Omarui did, where he went from a post player to a, a player who could be efficient in the post. But then as the season went on, he played more and more on the perimeter and he ended up having, you know, a chance to go to the NBA now. And Gary is trying to make that same transition because if you watch his uh, tape from Syracuse, it's all like he's a true like four man. And it's starting to look a little bit better, right? But there's still a lot of just kind of pump and then drive baseline and then kick it, right? So I'm not ruling out that, you know, the next few weeks here, he gets more um, experience with that. But I, I do think he's like kind of the him and Eric Williams, like I know X factors overused, but those are the guys you got to look for, especially when you have this kind of gauntlet coming up. And then before we know it, it'll be, you know, packed all tournament time. Yeah, we're getting into the nitty gritty for sure. It's coming down to the wire. All righty. Well, Shane, thanks for joining us. Uh, Strong yeah. episode, I think. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming in here and giving your uh, your inside information. Uh, I do just want to touch going forward. What do you think about uh, the tough gauntlet coming uh, coming up with the with the next few games? Um, after we touched on, you know, Stanford, Cal, Wazoo, we do have that tough gauntlet, like you mentioned a few times. What are some things that you want to look for that the that the Ducks can take advantage to to really solidify yourself as a top team? Yeah, so I, that Arizona game, no matter what, it's going to be tough. I know, like we were talking about, Oregon's been really good on the road this year. Arizona, top to bottom, just a super talented team. They're top five in the nation for reasons, so no one should really be expecting a win there. But then when you look at the USC and UCLA games, you have to imagine they at least split those. I don't think USC is actually as good as people have thought. Um, and UCLA's dropped some partly because of injuries. Um, I would just like to see Matthew Knight packed for once. Mm. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, it was, it was kind of jumping a little bit when Dan Landon came and spoke, but it's been kind of dead there, especially for the men. So if they can get a good crowd for that UCLA game, which I would imagine they would, that'll be a fun one. I'll be at that one covering it. Um, I think they split there. So I think, they, I think they probably go three, no, the next three. And then most likely I'd say one and two over that ranked team gauntlet. But if they can go two and one, I mean, that's huge for their March Definitely. Madness seating. Completely. And if uh, you said you're going to be covering the games, um, to our listeners, where where can they they find your work that you're going to be uh, reporting on? Yeah, everything is at uh, the dailyemerald.com uh, sports section. We've got a ton of stuff going up now, not just basketball, not just women's basketball, but, you know, club sports, diamond plate sports are coming up. Um, and I will not be going to March Madness this year, but maybe to Pac-12 tournament and hopefully we can send someone uh, to March Madness. So, yeah, appreciate it again, guys. Yeah, appreciate All right, man. Yeah, thanks up. for making the time.